Let's see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good goal. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. Again, folks, thank you so much for chiming in, Rangers and hockey fans. This is episode 44 of Rangers Review. My name is Tyler. You guys know me as Wardy, especially Wardy NYM. We have staff boy Steven in here, and we have a lot to discuss over the Rangers West Coast trip, which unfortunately didn't go nearly as well as what we would hoped it would, but there were some positives, and there were definitely some negatives that we'll be taking from these past three games for the Rangers, games 35 to 37. So we'll be sharing our quick analysis on each of these games in particular, deep diving them a little bit further, and just sharing really what went right and what went wrong for the Rangers as they went one and two over these past three games. We'll be getting into some questions towards the end of the live stream if you are here in the live stream on YouTube. And then we will, of course, be taking a look at the upcoming schedule for the Rangers before we discuss episode 45 of Rangers Review right around a week or so from now. But yeah, plenty to get into. Again, if you're watching this live or in replay, wherever you get your podcast, thank you guys all so much for being here and for the support. But Steven, how are you doing today, my friend? Good, good. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure Ranger fans are happy to hear that. There's only one more game on the West Coast before Ranger fans can go to bed at a normal hour again. That that's that's true, especially for you. I mean, when you had to stay up, uh, be ready for a three thirty a.m. game last night at the time recording. It's today, technically, right? Uh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure I, that wasn't fun. I went to bed at ten thirty. I woke up at two, a little bit earlier than I than I would have hoped. Um, and then I watched the game. The game ended at six, and then I just went straight to work. Yeah, I know that that's a long day, though. It is. It is. And after this is done recording, I'll probably go to bed. Yeah, as you should. What time is it where you are now? Uh, six, seven, seven p.m. Seven. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, definitely get your beauty sleep after this. You deserve it. But Rangers again. Unfortunately, they weren't able to do as well during these West Coast games, and that's always the most frustrating thing for us fans. Whether you're on the East Coast or even if you're where you are, where it's even that much earlier in the morning, um, to stay up these games, of course, these past three, and for them to only win one does suck. Got to be honest with you, especially in how they lost these games too. But we'll be deep diving, of course. And again, also, I don't know who won our last uh, discussion on you know the win-loss record. I think you might have won if you took the lesser goals per game because neither of us had the proper record. I think I might have said, did I say like 2-0-1-1 for the Rangers during the stretch or 2-1-1? Yeah, you went 2-0-1-1. I went uh, 2-1-0. I have 10 goals. You had 9. Oh, uh, what do you look uh, at that? Wow. The belt comes back to Pennsylvania. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, the Rangers. Uh, did... uh, I mean, that belt travels more than anyone on this planet at the moment. Oh, absolutely. It's going back and forth from PA to Dublin. That's kind of a big yeah. deal. But Rangers, yeah. again, during these past three games, they, it was not for goal scoring. They only scored six goals in these three games and surrendered nine. So they gave up three goals per game and definitely weren't able to get the job done offensively for the most part. But the biggest thing takeaway out of all these games before we deep dive them is 
who they had available because Artemi Panarin did, of course, come back in the game against the Canes. I'll be getting to shortly. But yeah, Rangers have been with that multiple players, unfortunately, in COVID protocol. Uh, Gerard Gallant was the latest uh, that we saw along with Barkley Goudreau heading into the game against the Canes last night at the time recording this. But again, a lot again, too. There's reasons as to why the Rangers did not do well in these games. Some of them are justified. Others aren't. But getting right to game one of this one, and this, of course, was against the Vegas Golden Knights. And this was a frustrating one, too, just for a lot of different reasons. And when you look at the three games that transpired here, this, in my mind, was easily the worst game of three. Uh, Gerard Blanc gained a nice standing O and his return to Vegas for the first time since he had parred with them as their first coach in their history as an organization. But outside of that, the Rangers just did not have a lot going. They had a strong start to the game. Uh, it was pretty balanced even on, but a lot of hiccups happened. And a lot of it was because of the defense. And boy, oh boy, Libor Hayek and that Zach Jones pair was not fun to watch. And don't get me wrong, Jones was not perfect in this game at all, but Libor Hayek was out for basically all those goals. He was a negative four. Uh, definitely a tough pill to swallow for him. And was the last game that we have seen him playing since then. Same thing with Zach Jones for that matter. But the goal scoring got off of Jonathan Marshall with his 17th of the year, the former New York Ranger, at least during his time in Hartford, uh, assisted by Riley Smith and Waugh. Uh, that was right on the power play uh, into the first period. And then getting into the second period, Chris Kreider gets an absolute beauty of a snipe uh, glove side on Robin Lehner. That would be his 21st goal of the season. Cuts in, cut a little bit left, and got a nice snap, uh, wrist shot off. And that was assisted by Zbanejad for his 20th apple of the year. And Kako would assist his seventh, seventh assist. So Kreider leading the way goal scoring wise, guys, 21st uh, goal leading the Rangers this point, one of the best goal scorers in the league right now, which is awesome to say. But then Mark Stone, back from injury, being out for a little bit or wherever he was, uh, got himself a goal in front. That was the seventh of the year, assisted by Evgeny Danov and Stevenson. And Chandler Stevenson, what a story he's been. I remember when the Washington Capitals uh, parted with him in a lower-level move, and Stevenson has played above expectations by far. And Yes, Vegas has dealt with their injuries and people being out, especially their center depth has been shaky for a bit now, um, even with Jack Eichel still not with them playing yet, even though he just did practice with them actually um, since the surgery. But Stevenson has stepped up big time. He's been doing a great job exceeding expectations from, from everything I've seen. His 25th assist on that goal. And then Matthias Janmark, again, another goal where you just saw the likes of Libor Hayek just get manhandled. Not manhandled, but just not good one-on-one -on -one at all. Yamark made him look silly. His seventh goal of the season, originally with the Chicago Blackhawks and the Dallas Stars. That was assisted by Kolzar for his 11th apple and Hutton with his sixth apple as well. Um, and at that point, the Rangers are already down a couple goals, did not have a good second period. That is really in part why they faltered so bad. And then when they got to the third period, just a piss poor performance, if we're being frank here. The Rangers only had four shots on goal in that third period. That is not what you're that's not going to get it done to try to come back in a game down by a couple. And Brett Howden, of course, scores his second of the season against the Rangers. He only has four on the year for that matter. Um, because of course he does, assisted by Nolan Patrick for his first apple of the season, and uh, Coughlin with his eighth assist. Um, and Howden, when he scored that one, another bad play by uh, Hayek there. You saw Zach Jones kind of go, got a little twisted up in the middle in the defensive zone, and then Hayek was one-on-one -on -one with Howden there. Howden just got a soft shot off, and it looked like it even deflected off of Hayek's stick, and unfortunately trickled through Georgiev. That was a soft goal by Georgiev. 
And just a bad play again, unfortunately, by that bottom pair and Hayek and Jones. And then, of course, they get their fifth goal and final goal. This one by Jonathan Marshall, his second of the game, his 18th of the year, assisted by Riley Smith, his 17th apple. It was a 5-1 game at that point. I believe that was a power play goal, too. And, yeah, just a lot of frustrating things in this one. To really recap, that defensive pair was not pretty at all. And as I said earlier, Zach Jones wasn't great. I'm aware of that, but Libor Hayek was really laboring in this one. And I'm happy that he hasn't been in the lap since then. But at the same time, I'm not happy with what Gerard Gallant has pivoted to defensively either. There's still a lot of issues that I personally have with the bomb pair of this defense. So, Steven, what's your final uh, takeaway from this game against Vegas? Easily the worst out of these past three games on the West Coast trip. Um. Yeah, I mean, we we were outplayed, outclassed by uh, simply a better team. But I also think uh, we should take into consideration that they were playing at 10 p.m. Um, Eastern. Their bodies don't really adjust within a day, so it was a very late game for 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 the Rangers. Um, but yeah, that defense. I mean, Jones didn't have a good game, but Hayek was just terrible. Um, I looked it up. He's the only Ranger since 2016 to have multiple uh, games with minus four or worse. Wow. Um, and yeah, they only scored four even strength goals. So he was on the ice for all four even strength goals there. Yep. Um, it was just a game that, that you're better off just, just forgetting and moving on. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It was definitely not a pretty one. And Gerard Gallant definitely went and mixed some things up heading into game two over this trip. And unfortunately, that would be the last game for him before he got put on protocol. And of course, Igor Shosturkin was out for that first game, has been out since. Uh, as soon as the West Coast trip started, he was put in protocol. Uh, Hunt as well has been out with a injury, not in protocol, thankfully, but he's out for a little bit with injury. So yeah, Rangers definitely missing Igor in that one, uh, but no less. I'm not going to put any blame really on Georgiev when you can only muster one goal and a four-shot performance in your third period is just not going to get the job done whatsoever. But Steven, let's take it away with game two over this West Coast trip. Yeah, so game two, they uh, they go to Anaheim playing at the Honda Center. And before the game, there was a lot of talk about Kako versus Zegras, um, you know, two players from the 2019 draft. And I think Zegras had a really good game against the Rangers. Um, I don't think Kako nice. was. I don't think Kako was bad. Kako assisted on the first goal by Zibanejad in the second period uh, to tie it up after the Rangers uh, conceded a goal from uh, Isaac Lundström, who played with Nils Lundqvist in Sweden. Um, and but the first period, the Rangers were definitely the better team. Um, you know, they, they were able to, to generate some offense. And this is something I've been talking about for weeks. And people that listen to us regularly will, will recognize this. My biggest complaint about this Rangers team and that is that they are unable to enter the zone clean and set up the attack and build sustained pressure. And the game against the Ducks was the first game where they were actually able to do that. They were able to, to get to the zone without, without too many issues. And then... Once they get to the zone, actually stay there for about 30, 40 seconds, get some shots off, you know, tire out your opponents. And that's what you need to do because those type of plays, that sustained pressure ultimately leads to wins. Um, so they were able to do that. Um, they finished the second period, one tied, tied up with one. And then the third period, um, they, uh, they they get a goal from a guy that where you wouldn't expect it, Jared Tenorti, his first goal as a Ranger um uh assisted by Rooney and Heedle 
Um, and then, of course, after that, Ryan Lindgren, right after the power play expires, uh, he scores his, I think it was his second or third goal of the season, assisted by Fox and Morgan Barron. Morgan Barron with his first career assist in the NHL, second career point. Um, and then uh, at the end of the game, Ryan Lindgren comes comes out of the box, uh, ranges around the penalty kill, comes out of the box, gets the puck in the neutral zone, and makes it 4-1. Um, overall, I think this was the Rangers' best game of the season. And it sounds weird for a team that has 50 points in, in mid-January and that has been a top-five team in the standings, but this was their best game of the season, in my opinion, because they were able to, to generate offense, they were able to score goals without relying on the power play, and without relying on opponents giving the puck away. Uh, we've seen the last couple of weeks, the Rangers score a lot of goals when the opponents are losing the puck in their own zone. So it's a lot of a lot of goals off of turnovers, a lot of goals on special teams. And they also didn't have the stellar goaltending to bail them out. What happened instead was that the Rangers were able to hold them to 14 shots on goal. And I looked this up. Uh, since the NHL started tracking shots on goal in 1967, the Rangers have only allowed fewer than 14 shots on goal in a game eight times. That's 55 years, and this is the ninth fewest shots on goal they allowed in a game. So talk about pure I, dominance in this one. I, I think mean, I think that needs to be called out. Yes, um, and you know they were decent also uh, when it comes to the discipline. Um, you know, a Goudreau had a had a hooking penalty in the second. Um, I think that there was a there was a delay of game penalty and a too many and a too many men. Those are probably the penalties you want you want to avoid because those are the easiest ones to avoid. Uh, but yeah, they they were really solid. You know, they didn't give up any power play goals, um, but they also didn't rely on their special teams to get it done. Although that first Lindgren goal came right after the power play expired, so that's that's interesting. It was. It, it came off the back of sustained pressure on the power play. So I was really happy with this performance. Um, it beating the Ducks 4-1 is nice, but the way they beat the Ducks, I think, is much more telling than just the scoreline. The context of it all is what was so yes. important. And I thought about you while watching this game as well because ex you're exactly right. For you, especially in previous episodes that we've been discussing, you know, it's great that the Rangers are winning, but how are they winning, right? So to see them not be reliant, as you said, on special teams is awesome to see. And even though that they haven't done well on the power play, haven't scored over this West Coast trip on special teams, at least they're still finding ways to win in the way that they did in this game. They dominated the Ducks 40-14 to 14 in shots. And had 20 shots. Half their shots were in the third period alone to the Ducks only having three. It wasn't even remotely close with how well the Rangers are playing. Just on another level, uh, then a Ducks team that has been playing far above expectations, many would argue, this season. With their young kids like Troy Terry, who had that beautiful pass to lead to their one goal. Also, of course, in Sonny Milano. Then, of course, in Trevor Zegras. The list goes on and on. They have a lot of great young talent. They're exciting to watch, but... Rangers really proved to make a statement in this one. Unfortunately, felt short-lived versus their next game in L.A. That we'll be getting into in second. But face-offs 50-50 apiece, which is always satisfying to see. Um, hits, Rangers out-hit the Ducks 22-17. Blocks favor the Rangers. And giveaways favor the Ducks by 1-13-14. But I also really want to point out in this game, too, because we will be doing more so after the Kings game uh, recap, is really the defensive issues, but also with Keandre Miller. And it's unfortunate because we're not trying to single a player out or anything like that. But if you look at Miller the past couple of games, especially 
he get, he had two un, really bad uh, giveaways that led directly to goals. And this game, especially against Anaheim, that's how it happened. The lone goal was a whiff in which it looked like he was trying to do even really a cross-crease pass. It was not going along the boards. He was trying to throw it somewhere down the middle or towards the uh, opposite side diagonally. Completely whiffed. Ducks were able to get a handle of it, and that's how Terry got the pass uh, to uh, Lundstrom, I believe, for the goal. So it's unfortunate, and we saw more similarities of that in the following game against the Canes. But let's just pivot and do that because last night's game against the Canes was nothing short of frustrating because this was a game that the Rangers really should have had. And I, I look at how the goals were scored, especially by the Canes, and by no means do I look at the majority of these goals and say, oh, they were just completely outplayed. No, I don't see that. There were some bad bounces going on, but there also was some bad defensive miscues as well. And for a Rangers team going against the Kings team, who, again, are playing really solid hockey right now, uh, right around you know four to five games above 500, um, still a game that I would have liked to see a more uh, valiant effort defensively. But again, this is also at this point without Barkley Goudreau, without Gerard Gallant behind the bench. You have Knobloch in there for his first game since the 2020 season. Uh, Julian Gauthier out, Reeves out, Hunt, Igor. All these guys are pivotal to this club, so to not have them in the lineup definitely hurts. And even though that Gettinger and um, uh, uh, Brodzinski and Barron did very well in the limited stint that they had against Anaheim, uh, we weren't able to get similar magic again in this game, unfortunately, because it really turned out to be a first period that was high-flying right away. Ryan Strom had some golden opportunities and got absolutely robbed by Cal Peterson in his first game ever against the Rangers. It was a beautiful setup by Alexi Lafreniere. A split one up the middle in the offensive zone, made a nice little two-on-one, got a beautiful pass to Ryan Strom. Strom just gets robbed. All he can do is look up at the Jumbotron because that, that's really all she wrote. A great save. And the Canes had some offensive opportunities earlier in the game. Kelly have had a nice shot. That was a nice save there by Georgiev, among others. But then they go in the second period, and that's where everything just completely falters. The Rangers really got manhandled in a lot of ways in the second period, in my opinion. They were outshot 18-9 to during this span, and just some bad bounces for sure. But again, what leads to the Canes' first goal is a pivotal giveaway by Keandre Miller. And then it's brought into the zone, and then, of course, the Canes are able to get a rebound with no one there. Keandre and uh, Trubo were both standing there. Unfortunately, weren't able to get the trailer, that being in Deneau, to get his first of the game to give the Kings the lead. His seventh of the year, assisted by Trevor Moore, his eighth apple of the year. But then we get to the second goal in this one, and it's awfully similar, right in front of the net. And what a terrible performance defensively by a Jared Chinorty and, yes, Patrick Nemeth pair. Oh, my goodness gracious. So, Instead of potentially having Niels Lundqvist in this game, or even Zach Jones too, we're going to have Tenorti because, of course, you're going to play him after he scored his first of the season, along with Nemeth. And both of them, nowhere to be seen on this play. They both somehow, someway, fell behind the net completely. There's like three kings right in front with all the time in the world. They're able to get a nice setup. I have no clue what Nemeth and Tenorti were doing on that play. And then it leads to a nice goal there. Just a chip in uh, on the rebound by Lazat for his fourth of the year. Assisted by Victor Arvidsson, who brought the puck in the zone, his 12th apple of the year. And Trevor Moore with his ninth assist, his second of the game. So that was really frustrating, just seeing how the Rangers' defense was completely collapsed. It, there was no opportunity for Yuryev to have something go his way there. It was just a really bad scene. But then getting into the third period, thankfully, Filipino got a nice shot on goal around the right side um, on the in the offensive zone. And Mika Zibanejad in front gets a beautiful deflection. Looks like it snuck right under the uh, the um, the armpit of Peterson to go up high. And that would be Zibanejad's 13th of the year, assisted by Hedl's sixth apple and McKegg's second apple of the year. 
And Zbanjad continuing to stay hot with a goal scoring, two goals in his past three games still. Uh, but unfortunately, the Rangers weren't able to do any more with only 10 minutes left or so there in the third period. Nothing was happening. And then right towards the end of the game, uh, Kane's put one more in, the nail in the coffin. Adrian Kempe gets his 16th of the year, assisted by Kopitar for his 21st apple. And the Kings win this one three to one. This was a frustrating game. Artemi Panarin being back, of course, but you could tell that he was looking shaky, especially early on in the offensive zone on the power play. He was missing normally textbook passes that he would make across the board, whether it be to Ryan Strom or whoever, and just looked frustrated in this one. Panarin was in minus three in this game. Now, granted, you, you don't really put too much stock in that plus minuses and things of that nature, but you can just tell that Panarin, he, he was rusty in this one. And he, I'm not worried about him in the slightest. He's going to get back in a groove. But you could tell that he looks like a player that had missed four games and then was thrown to play 20 minutes right away for the Rangers, especially without having some pivotal guys in his lineup like Hunt. Yes, I even say that. Like Gauthier, like Reeves, etc. Um, but when you look at overall how the Rangers fared in this one, they got outshot 39-23. to The Canes just dominated them in a lot of ways. And you could tell that the Rangers looked like a team that was lacking a certain aggressive factor. If Reeves was in this lineup, even if uh, Goudreau was here, I do think that this game would have been quite different. It looks like that they miss those type of players that bring that grit to them, but also can bring some offensive production, especially like Barkley Goudreau. Rangers did do really well in the faceoff dot, 61 to 39%. Neither team scored on the power play. Um, hits were balanced, 25 to 24 apiece. Blocks favored the Rangers 15 to 12, and giveaways favored the Rangers 7 to 8. But overall, frustrating game. Positives to take from it at all were really, I liked what I saw from Kako at times. I really liked what I saw earlier in the game from Alexi Lafreniere. But unfortunately, around with the rest of this offense, it really just felt that we were getting little to nothing. That second period really hurt them, and they just couldn't get enough going in the third. And unfortunately, they lose that one three to one. So, Stephen, what's your kind of final takeaway on this, especially on the defensive front? Yeah, it, it's very frustrating to come off such a good game against the Ducks where you outshoot your opponent in the third period, even when you have a lead, to go into L.A. and play one of the toughest teams the Rangers have played over the years. Um, and I think their style just doesn't really, just doesn't, doesn't really match up well for us. But what's frustrating for me is we can argue all day long whether or not Tenorti and Nemeth is a pairing that's better than Jones Lundqvist. We can argue that all day. People are going to agree. People are going to disagree. My biggest issue with playing Nemeth and Tenorti last night is more the matchup because you're going up against a team that that plays a very fast-paced game. You know, they have really good skaters in Kupari and Kempe, and, and it showed last night. Kupari, Kupari really, really was fun oh, to watch. Yeah. I haven't watched much of him yet, but yeah, yeah, he was the high flyer in that one for sure. Yeah, there, there's a reason why I've been harping on on a potential Robertson for Kupari trade for months, um, because this kid has really, the last year or so, really taken huge steps in his development. But last night, um, you know, it was a late game, so maybe people went to bed after the first period. If you did, um, I'm, I'm so happy for you. Uh, so he didn't have to stay up to watch this live. But Kemp, Kempe on the right side, Kupari on the left, they were skating past our defensemen left and right. It's It was so frustrating to see. And again, after one good game against Anaheim, we go back to what we've been seeing all season. The Rangers struggled, struggled to enter the zone. They get held up at the blue line where our opponents 
just skating freely without any opposition. And that was the big difference last night between the Rangers and the Kings. The Kings have it figured out. The Kings found ways to 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 get into the zone, and that's that's step one. It is that simple. Um, and then, yeah, we can talk about Miller, uh, you know, giving up the puck, leading to the goal, like he also did against the Ducks, which is unfortunate. And I think we do need to talk about that for a second because as as good as Miller has been this season after a shaky start, the last couple of games he really hasn't been what I expect from a second-pair defenseman. Those and, giveaways alone would have had him, you know, in the Quinn bin, if you will, if this was last yeah. season. And and Miller has a very long leash this season. Yeah. Um, if 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 someone like Lundqvist makes those mistakes two games in a row, you probably won't see him for for three weeks. Um, Jones may may and Jones had a had a disappointing game against Vegas and immediately he's out of the lineup. I know there's a difference with them being rookies, but we're talking about a 20-year-old Keandre Miller who hasn't even played 82 games yet. So or maybe he has, maybe we're at that point now where he just uh surpassed that 82 game mark. But the point is he's not playing well and and I, I wouldn't mind him sitting a game. I'm not I'm not saying trade him away or give up on him. But, you know, have him sit a game in the press box, you know, try to learn from observing a game from up high. And 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 you know, we have we have eight defensemen on the team. You know, play one of the other ones. Um I, I'm just not happy with what I'm seeing from him. The the Lindgren Fox pairing I think is fine. Uh, they're put under a lot of pressure, but, uh, you know, they have the toughest assignments. And I think they're the only pairing that that we can that we can say game after game is playing good defense. Uh, but then the third pairing of Nemeth and Tenorti, it was just terrible. Last night, it was terrible. They like you, you, you alluded to it. The second goal, they're both caught behind the net. What are they doing? I had no clue what I Tenorti got caught up uh, with a player and he falling behind. But I, I'm looking next to him because when I watched it on the replay, well, why is Nemeth following him behind? Exactly. The what the hell was Nemeth doing there? That, I don't even. It, it happened. Right. It happened quick when I was watching live. I didn't notice it fully right away. So when I watched the replay this morning, I'm like, what the? What? How? how? I you just learned this when you were like 12 years old. You're 12, 13. And your coach says if your defensive partner is behind the net. Cover the front. No shit. <laughs> I'm like, let's let's give Lazat let's give Lazat the second rebound, right? You know, but let's let's blame it on Georgiev too while yeah. we're at it. Um, ridiculous. Yeah, it was it was just a bad game all around. And yeah, I know there were there were some some concerns <laughs> about the offense, and I never expected us to win that game when your third line is uh, McKeg, Rooney, and Heedle. All due yeah, respect. there was no bottom six there. All due respect, and I like Rooney, but. Rooney on the third line, I'm okay with, but if his line mates are Heedle and McKeg, my expectations are very low. Yeah. Um, and then that fourth line of Gettinger, Baron, Brodzinski, I think was one of the one of the 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 bright spots actually the last two games. Yeah, they, they've um, done they've done better than I think what you would yeah. expect for them to be just thrown into yeah. fire right away coming off of the uh, the taxi squad. They haven't been a complete liability, which is, you know, I'll take that any day. When you when you, when you talk about a line with three AHL players, you know, uh, thrown into the fire in the NHL. Uh, but yeah, that top six, you know, we just didn't have it last night. 
And yeah, you're missing a lot of players. Like you said, you miss Goudreau, uh, you miss Reeves, you miss Gauthier, you miss you miss Hunt. Um, of course, Blay is still out injured uh, for the for the remainder of the season. Uh, there's a lot of players on this team that could have made an impact last night that that just weren't able to play for various reasons. And then Manarin comes back, and I think he just tried too hard. You know, you could tell that he was he was overcommitting on the passes, and the passes just were either a tad slow or a tad off. Uh, but that'll that'll. I didn't that'll like bad. the power play with him either, though. You know, especially I mean, put Mika back in that left dot. I I didn't want to bring it up, but yes, the power play hasn't scored a goal with with Panarin in the lineup since I think early December. Yeah. And yeah, think I, about yeah. it. Panarin is usually that guy on the top power play. You know, he was out for four games, but four games, yeah. you know, still. Uh, and we, we talked about this in a previous episode. In my opinion, what what even though our power play is top five in the league, or I think top ten in the league, uh, what worried me about the power play was their over-reliance on Panarin. The puck yeah. always goes to Panarin, and Panarin is trying to find the perfect lane for a pass. Whereas you need to move the puck around. And when Panera was out of the lineup and Kako came in and he, Kako moved to the right side, strong to the middle, Panera and, and Zibanejad to the left, there was just a better balance. And I think what we need to realize is, and the coaches need to realize this, the power play is more than just putting your five best players together. And we've seen this over the years with Rick Nash. Rick Nash at even strength was one of the best players the Rangers had in that decade. He, he was, he was utterly dominant, but just so different than what the Rangers intended him to be. Yeah, but then they tried to use him on the power play, and he just doesn't do well on the power play. Oh, my God, he couldn't hit an open net. No, but he his play doesn't – I mean, for the penalty kill, yes, because he was a really, yes. good, a really yeah. good defensive forward. Absolutely. But he needs that he needs that room in front of him to skate into. He's mm-hmm. not a guy that you park in front of the net and, and hope to get some rebounds or deflections off of. Chris Kreider is your guy if you want to do that, or Joe Pavelski. You know, those are guys you can put in that position and they will succeed. Rick Nash was never that guy. And I think Panarin on that left side is just not the guy for the first for his power play unit. Or, or unless you, you move Zibanejad to the second unit, and Strom to the middle. I think Strom down the middle for the power play was a really good move when, when mm-hmm. Panarin was out. And I think they should explore that more. And honestly, I wouldn't mind moving Zibanejad to the second second power play unit uh, on that left circle. And have Lafreniere on the right circle. Um, and then fill it out with probably maybe Truba on the blue line. And then, I don't know, Hedl or pick one. Whoever the fifth person is, maybe you want to go with two defensemen. To make sure you have better coverage in case you lose the puck, I, w- um, I would even argue that why don't you potentially have Panarin on the second pair with how Mika's been playing as of late? He's been yeah, the guy with can, the high hand. Yeah, um, you can do but, that too. You can do that too. And I think I think it's important to look at how the power play has been constructed with Panarin back, and you know, just over the past couple of games with them not doing well, but with Panarin back, especially, you could tell how the Canes' defense was reading things, as you alluded to, and you're right. Panarin was really overthinking a little bit and trying to get the perfect pass set up. And the Kings can read that. And when you look at the Rangers power play, yes, are there multiple guys that can score for you and be deadly for sure. But there's no denying that Panarin will always stick out like a sore thumb. He's always going to be that guy that's highlighted from the rest. He is the 
Alexander Ovechkin, if you will, for this team. You know, he's that number one. So when you had him out, it gave the Rangers more balance, as you said. And really, when opposing defenses are reading how they want to go about things, they have, I would say, a little bit of a less favoritism towards covering a certain spot. Because, yes, you know Zmanjad has the shot, but you also know that Kreider is so deadly in front, and all Fox needs to do is just throw something on that. Or even potentially having Kako or Ryan Strom on that right side. These are all guys that can contribute. When you put Panarin in that mix, it feels like it's overload. It's more than what it should be, and it causes the defense to really react in the sense of, okay, let's zone in. Maybe we're even going to double-team Panarin here. And then Panarin gets a little, um, if he's overthinking a bit, then he finds himself making a mispass happen like we saw. Again, it's his first game. I'm not throwing any shade at him whatsoever. The point being is that you and I have been literally preaching this since day one that we feel that's probably best for this team if they have them separated or at least keep us the manager on the left dot. I would at least say go there and then build build beyond things because Zabanja has been thriving, ride that hot hand, and let Panarin have a little bit of a less focus on trying to be that driver, that guider, if you will, on the power play unit. Just just let Fox and Zabanja take care of things. Panarin is going to do what Panarin does, but let's not you know overstep things uh, more than yeah. what they need to right now. Yeah, and I saw I saw a comment earlier about you know scoring on the power play and. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying scoring on a power play is a bad thing. I'm just saying that if you are over-reliant on special teams and elite goaltending and scoring off of turnovers, you're going, in the long run, you're going to have an issue keeping keeping that up because uh, you saw it against the, against the Golden Knights. You know, the Golden Knights played the Rangers and we didn't have elite goaltending because Shesterkin was out with COVID. We didn't have a lethal power play because the Vegas Golden Knights just didn't take enough penalties for us to get going. And aside from uh, Leonard's uh, mistake on the Kreider goal, the Golden Knights didn't make any mistakes that we could capitalize on. So They reminded me in a lot of ways of the Colorado Avalanche, um, not yeah. just because of them being the two Dynamos in the West, but they just they looked like a far more complete team as an yeah. understatement. And and like like I say, I like when they score on the power play. I just I just want the Rangers to do more than than just that. Yeah, don't the be Rangers. relying on it. That I, yeah. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure that out. We love the power play. Keep scoring power play goals. Just yeah. make sure that when you're not on the power play, that you can still bring up effective offensive production. You know, you've you've had a harsh criticism on this team, but you're not wrong. It, it's clear they they have been a Jekyll and Hyde teams uh, mm-hmm. team at times this year when um when on the power play versus not which is awesome when you're looking at the fact that the rangers don't even really have things at all in in full groove yet because they're 50 points they're tied for first in the metro right now they're having a great season and they're not even remotely close to i think what fans want them to be and know that they will be at some point right so it's it's good that they have these flaws right now while still having a certain level of success I think it would be a much deeper and much more poor discussion if, say, the Rangers were really on a bend losing with everyone healthy and they were just so simply relying on their special teams. I think that in itself would have been a completely different conversation, but that's not what you you and I are having right now. Yeah, and, and we're talking about the power play sometimes, you know, or the playoffs. The Rangers are going to make the playoffs. I'm pretty sure we will. I'm, I'm not worried about that. But in the playoffs, we all know this. It shouldn't be a thing, but it is a thing. Referees don't call penalties the way they do in the regular season. Bingo. And if you rely on the power play because you're not scoring enough at even strength, you're not going to do well in the playoffs. 
Aside what if those same exact calls that you were hoping for don't come in the playoffs? Exactly. Exactly. And and aside from that, I did I have this conversation with you last week about the Rangers relying on the power play is like the Chicago Bears expecting to win because uh, uh, what's the name of the guy that returned the puns and the kicks for them for years? Who was their their kick return guy uh, in Chicago? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wait, Devin Hester. Devin Hester scoring on the power play and not playing well with even strength is like the Chicago Bears expecting to win by Devin Hester returning five kicks a game. Yeah. Shout out to Devin Hester. He was one of my favorite players growing up. So damn oh, good. You got if you great, know, you know. No one was great, better great uh, on kick returns than Hester. Great player. But you need you need a quarterback to get your you know to to, to get your 10, 11 yard throws in. You need your quarterback to move to change. You don't need you, you shouldn't rely on your quarterback to throw 80 yard bombs and hope for the best. And that's what that's the equivalent of what the Rangers are doing this season. And that one game against Anaheim, they played really well. Uh, yeah, there were some 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 mistakes on defense. You know, the Goudreau turnover, the Miller turnover, they resulted in a goal. But offensively, the Rangers played their best game of the season because they were able to enter the zone, they were able to build sustained pressure, and they were able to capitalize on that. You know, that that pressure resulted in the Ryan Lindgren goal. That pressure resulted in the Jared Tenorti goal, and and that's what you need. You know, you need that kind of play because that's that's the play that's sustainable. No, you again. You're absolutely right. I, I'm glad that you and I are, are on such the uh, same page here because have the Rangers been playing terrible hockey? No, they haven't. But they've been inconsistent. And again, this is one of those stretches that it is a little hard to read just because of the fact on where this team stands with having players out. We can heavily criticize that game against Vegas, and rightfully so. And I think that's something we're looking back. Yes, it just it, it unfortunately just furthers that narrative that. You know, the Raiders are still having their struggles against more competent teams, teams that are fully expected to be in playoffs, but probably have a deep playoff run too. So the Rangers are continuing to build on that. They have gotten some nice wins against playoff teams, um, but it's going to be interesting to see how things shake up for them with hopefully having Gallant back soon. I don't know exactly how long he'll be in protocol. Same thing with Igor Shosturkin. Uh, We definitely need Igor back. Uh, he's the guy, he's just such an X factor for this team. And I definitely do get worried at times. I feel like the Rangers get too reliant on him um, when he's really in a mode and grooving. Uh, very Henrik Lundqvist-esque, if you will. But he's an X factor. We all know that. And for them to hopefully bring him back, potentially, you know, over the next couple games, same thing with Gallant. Uh, it's going to bow this team well. Uh, but they definitely they're facing adversity right now. And uh, before we we're not going to deep dive it just yet, the upcoming schedule. But when you look at the Rangers next couple games until we talk again, at least their final two away games before they're back home. Those are two games that the Rangers should very much win. Um, so it's up to them. It's up to them to make sure that they can garner more offensive production with guys around that, you know, if they, if we need to get Panarin, Sabanjad, Kreider, everyone on a roll, and hopefully get some more production from the youngsters like Kako Laffey. I want to take a moment to just appreciate how well I think Alexi Lafreniere has played in the past couple of games. I really think that we're continuously seeing more progression on his part. Him in that top six when he was on the left wing with Panarin now, and now on the right wing, I liked what I saw from him last night. Again, it wasn't anything overwhelming, but especially in that first period, he was really looking like a high flyer. You could just tell that he has a little bit more, uh, you know, poise with himself, uh, offensively speaking at least, than he did to begin the year. And I appreciate that. I am sure he does too. And I just hope that Gallant notices that as well. He's someone that if he can thrive on that right wing, then by all means continue to go for it. 
And yeah, just I'm I'm happy with what I'm seeing from him and Kaka respectively. But especially with Lafreniere, he's doing some things that um, a couple of weeks ago we would have just loved and dreamed to see happen outside of him just burying a goal in front of the net. So, so far, so good from Lafreniere of recent games. And I, it's awesome to know that there is a positive on his front and just with the younger players overall. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree there. And the next next two games will be interesting against the Sharks and the Flyers. Um, playing the Flyers with Chris Knobloch behind the bench, I think that has potential. Oh, it definitely has potential. If only Elaine Vigneault was still coached, that's the only thing that really would have uh, swinged the pot a little bit. But before, wow. before we before we get to those games, let, let's take a minute. Let's answer some questions, okay? Because I'm sure some of you guys, if you're watching the live stream, have some questions to ask. So we'll be pivoting to open Q&A real quick, folks. So if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, if you're watching live, by all means, throw them our way. We'll be answering them for the next couple minutes before we take a look at the upcoming schedule. Again, to wrap things up in this episode of Rangers Review. And again, guys, if you're watching live or on replay, wherever you get your podcast, thank you guys so much for being here. Make sure to smash that like button and subscribe button on YouTube for the channel. And if you say you're on Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast, please leave a nice review if you guys enjoyed the podcast. And if you don't, then don't leave a nice review. I want you to be honest. We know that this is still very early in the works here on Rangers Review. So we have plenty to build and we're very excited for the future. But yeah, like I said, any qu- uh, questions you got, by all means, throw them our way. Sign Evander Kane, hell to the no. You do not even sniff the idea of signing Evander Kane. <laughs> I just see yeah, in the, the last I'm going to say it's not even worth discussing because no. this team <coughs> is actively trying to get rid of a player who caused issues in the locker room not even a year ago. Yeah, exactly. And and, and it's it's interesting talking about that because it reminds me of my New York Mets. And I know I have to try to tie the Mets at least a little bit in every episode we have. But in all seriousness, this offseason for them, they had a plethora of free agents. And they were all quality players, players that naturally you would probably want to bring back. But the Mets have not brought any of those players back. And the reasons vary a little bit. But among the players that they have parted with, some of them have been rumored or believed by some to be the more divisive players within the locker room or having antics on social media, things that naturally aren't going to bode you well in a clubhouse that would probably cause more division than, you know, inclusion, having a group in unison together. And I think Evander Kane is a prime example of, yeah, you don't even want to consider yourself with someone like him. Is he talented? Yes. But one, he's, he's washed. He's not the same he used to be. And two, that guy has so many different things going on. Uh, You know, I'm not going to go deep into my opinions on Evander Kane, but to put it simply put, by no means should the Rangers uh, go down an avenue for someone like him. And I don't, it, to your point, I don't even think it's worthy of a true discussion. Um, yep. Okay, so we got a couple questions. Let's get to it. Uh, Mike says, why can't most of the Rangers forwards skate with the puck up the ice from their own zone into the offensive zone? Um, so basically what you're saying is why can't the Rangers just – actually skate with the puck into the offensive zone i mean you know, I th- what, yeah so what worries me is that the players that we're drafting the players that we're signing the players that we're trading for have all been able to do this in the past what is it about putting on a rangers jersey that that cripples or that that ruins these people's abilities to just skate into the zone i don't i don't get it I, really I don't get don't. it either. And, and it's funny because you think that every team complains about something like this, but they don't. They really don't. 
you know, it, it's, it's impossible for other teams to complain about this because they are literally skating passes left and right entering our zone. It's 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 like they're always overthinking too much. It, it and this isn't anything new though. That's the nope. big thing. This is this is like this is like the this face-off. is like the face-offs. Oh my goodness! Exactly. See, exactly. Yep. It's been going on since the face-offs have been an issue since since Yager left. And Yager wasn't even the center. So, but you know, to, to put it into perspective, how long it's been since the Rangers finished the season with a face-off percentage over fifty percent, it was two thousand eight, two thousand nine. We've had four coaches since then. We've had a plethora of centers. And we still haven't been able to fix it. And I see issues now that I saw in the 2011-2012 Rangers team on the Tortorella. I see the same deficiencies on this team. This team reminds me a lot of that team. They're winning a lot of games that they shouldn't. They're winning games based on just heart. Which is nice. It's great. It's great to see. It's just not something you can build on. And when the Rangers made the playoffs in 2012, they were the number two team in the league. I think they were one point away from winning the President's Trophy. They 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 finished behind the Vancouver Canucks, coached by Alain Vigneault. Um and, and all they had was Marion Gabrick. Yeah, the Vancouver Canucks came off a Stanley Cup winning uh, a Stanley Cup final loss against the Bruins mm-hmm. the, the year before, and they were the best team in the regular season. But the Rangers were right up there with them. But they were winning games in in ways that, like today, are just not sustainable. There's a lot of things that that team has in common. And I, they just need to figure it out. Because when I see Kupari and Kempe yeah, last night, and uh, Troy Terry and, and Trevor Zegras the uh, two nights before against the Ducks, and against the Vegas Golden Knights, it was basically everyone, you know, picking up the puck in the neutral zone, skating it past the, past the blue line into our zone, and setting up offense. That's what I want to see from the Rangers every day. I want to see that every game, but I don't get to see it, and it frustrate frustrate, frustrates the hell out of me. And aside from the first period last night, Lafreniere didn't really do anything that gets me excited either. You know, the first couple of minutes, he had a couple of good plays. He set up Strom. It didn't result in a goal, which is unfortunate. But aside from that, it was just that that line was lackluster. And I know it's Panarin coming back after missing four games. But it's just, aside from, there's there's expecting to win games, and then there's just expecting your players to play the right way. And they're not even doing that. And I I think that goes beyond the laugh. I think that went for the majority of the Rangers last night. Yeah. I really do. You know, I feel like that's something where it's not – nearly as easy to single out someone just like Laffy. It felt like it overall. They just were not in a groove. Unfortunately, you think that they would be high-flying goal scoring with Knobloch behind the bench because of how well Knobloch did 4-2 and two heading into that game as Rangers head coach um, mm-hmm. interim at least, right? But, yeah, unfortunately... I, I, the Rangers- guess, I guess it's a lot harder when you when you travel to the West Coast for those games as a, you know, as a coach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He left the offense at home by accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe he'll have it once uh, Rangers are back um, against Toronto, if he's still coaching then, who, who I would assume probably won't be because um, that's all the way on the 19th. Uh, but let's get to a couple questions here before we get to the schedule and wrap things up. Um, says, okay, would the Rangers entertain a Lundgren trade for a young center? His trade value is really high right now. 
I don't know. I, I don't see that happening at all. Uh, Lindgren and Fox are the only sustainable pair the Rangers really have at the moment. Um, at least that is to the level that is. Truba has been very solid all year long. And Keandre has had, of course, his ups and downs that we touched on earlier in the episode. But I just, at this point, I don't see Lindgren going anytime soon. Is Lindgren someone that I could see maybe part with down the line if the Rangers' other defensive prospects really uh, bode well over time? Could I see him maybe like a Ryan McDonough situation? Potentially, um, based on the Rangers' cap and all that stuff. But that's like years down the line. I don't see Ryan Lindgren going anywhere. Um, yeah, no, I just don't see that happening. Yeah. In the next couple of years, it doesn't make sense because you have no one to replace him. Yep. Um, and yeah, I mean, he has value, which is true, but you're trading away the defensive partner of your Norris trophy, trophy winning defenseman. If you do that. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think that'll hurt Fox more than maybe what you would initially think. And for that same reason, we won't see Strom leaving either. Yeah. Strom and Panarin. We talk a lot about how Strom is a product of Panarin, but it, it goes both ways. Panarin put up career highs for the for, uh, career highs playing with Strom in only 69 games. Uh, those two players feed off each other. Same with Lindgren and Fox. That that top pair works. I would say 60% because of Fox and 40% because of Lindgren. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe 65, 35. But if you take Lindgren away. Who are you gonna play Fox with? You're gonna you're gonna put Hayek there again. You're gonna move up Keandre Miller, who's struggling enough as it is. I mean, what are you gonna do? There, there's there's no one in the organization now to to replace Lindgren. The obvious answer when it comes to a trade is is Jacob Truba, because sooner or later that trade is going to happen. The Rangers need that cap space. It's an eight million dollar contract. Uh, his no move clause expires in 2024. And I've explained this before. If Truba wants to dictate where he goes, the trade the trade would happen in 2023. Because in 2023, he can waive his no move clause to pick like a specific location. Like what Gabrick did when he waived his no move clause to go to Columbus. Yep. Who then traded him to LA where he won a cup. Great yep. for Gabrick. Really happy yeah. for him. I wish it wasn't against the Rangers. No, um, but um, this is something that will happen eventually. If they have to choose between trading Truba and tra- trading Kreider, they'll trade Truba. Also because you have Snyder coming up in in, in uh, the next year or two. Uh, Lindgren, I think, will be moved once he gets closer to 30, though. I agree. And I th- I don't think that's wrong to say. You know, we could be completely wrong, but are the Rangers going to want to commit long-term to someone that – does take a beating the way he does, you know, similar to someone like Ryan McDonough. And look, Mac has thankfully still been a very strong defender in the league, has killed it, has been huge in the playoffs, winning back-to-back cups with Tampa. I'm so happy for him. But even though that trade wasn't pretty looking back on how those players has developed for the Rangers and, um, you know, overall with the prospects that they acquired via draft, I still don't blame the Rangers for doing what they did at that point in time. Could I, could I fault them for the type of trade exactly what is? Yes, of course I can. But I, I don't, I really don't fault them. I like for no, what I'm on this contract is right now too. That's not something the yeah, Rangers would want. That's to be like part the Butchnevich conversation we're having. Yeah. Should the Rangers have traded Butchnevich? Absolutely. Should they have traded him for something better? Yes. And the yeah. same thing with McDonough. Trading McDonough wasn't the issue. The limited return you got, that's the issue. 
Especially but, when JT Miller was just a throw-in. Yeah. If this organization has not learned from Dan Girardi and Mark Stahl falling off a cliff after turning 30, then there's no hope for Ranger fans. Yeah. I agree. Uh, wholeheartedly agree. Um, let's get to a couple more questions, though. Yeah. D-Master says, where are the odds that Vitali comes back? Well, his 100, season... 100%, 100% because he's on yeah. the contract. Yep. I was going to say his season ends before the Rangers season ends, of course. So, yes, we'll see what impact will you have for the Rangers. That's a big, that's a huge question mark. We have no clue. Um, but, yes, we we will see Vitelli back at some point uh, this mm. season, hopefully going into the playoffs. And if he if he provides anything awesome, if he doesn't, you know, is what it is. I don't think the Rangers are really going to bank on him. Um, but, yes, that relationship has not ended from what we know to yeah. this point. Yeah, and, and one other thing, and I was talking to, I don't remember who it was yesterday, after the game, we did a uh, a Spaces chat on Twitter. It sounds weird. Um, yeah. And then when you start one, you can share it with people, and they, and you can, it, it says, share my share my space, and it brings back weird memories. Uh, but we, we had this chat on, on Twitter after the game, and, and one person brought up that Pavel Buchnevich, was the perfect uh compliment to Kreider and Zabanajet on that line. And we haven't been able to find a replacement for him yet. Mm-hmm. The one player that plays the same position and the same style is actually Vitaly Kravtsov. So the best deadline acquisition for the Rangers might not even cost us any assets. Could you just imagine if Vitaly comes out of nowhere and just thrives somehow in the Rangers top six, six that would be, uh, you know, a redemption. He better, he, better prepare, he, he, he better prepare for some booing when he, when he plays at Madison Square Garden, though. Yeah. He's going to get booed. a little bit He's of gonna it. He's going to get booed the first couple of games. Probably at least a little bit. I agree, but. Until he scores the first goal. Yeah. At the end of the day, as long as he's on this team, I'm going to be ruined for him. Right. Like yeah. it, that, just yeah, how it's going to be. True. So. True, but. Um, look, he he's probably the best chance we have at fixing our issues on the wing. Yeah, Inter- you can internally the, speaking, yeah. Look, you you can you can trade a first round pick and a prospect for Phil Kessel. What what good what good is that going to do you? Yeah, you're gonna why? Go, you're gonna go into the playoffs with Phil Kessel as a goal scorer. <laughs> what's I mean, what what's that going to change? And how much this is Kessel going to provide for you right now? That's yeah, this a, team, that's a fair question this team too. is not one trade away from being a contender. This team is one trade away from from making the second round. Do you really want to give up a first round pick to get to the second round? I, I know playoff experience is important, but it's not like it's a guarantee to make the second round. The I, Rangers need to focus more on their internal development than they do making moves externally. Yeah, agreed. Okay, uh, another comment here. Let's see. From Michael says that the Rangers made a trade to bolster their depth. Do I think Jared McCann would be a good fit because of his diversity to play wing and center? Wahito struggling. McCann, he's interesting. He is someone that I, I've I've wanted in the past for the Rangers. He is someone, however, that has bounced around so much early in his career, and you have to wonder why exactly is that? Um, what are his what are his season numbers looking like right now, uh, Stephen? Let me look that up for you. Okay, because I'd be lying if I said I've been watching the Kraken much. I haven't watched them like uh, at all since first couple games. Twenty-one points in twenty-nine games. Okay, and, and obviously in a top six role. Fourteen plus sevens. It's not. It's not terrible. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, he's a pending, he's he's a pending RFA though. Uh, he's only twenty five, so I don't think that the the Kraken are going to trade him. <coughs> you know, he's 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 not in the position where he can walk for free in the summer. Yeah, um, he is so, the type of younger center depth though that I do think would benefit this team with not say gain a grizzled vet or anything like that. That's going to have a li- limited offensive upside i don't think it would hurt them hurt the rangers if they went down this route it reminds me a little bit on sam bennett from you know a year ago before he got traded to florida right bennett was in a very limited role with calgary um you know after starting off his career really nice um as a top prospect uh has done really well with florida when he first got traded there i don't know how bennett's doing this season statistically um but i do know that i see a little bit of uh comps if you will between the two and age and the role that they would have on the rangers yeah yeah and and for the rangers i i think the deadline there are some trades they can make um the one trade i would i would disagree with is giving up good assets for a rental if you want to go after a guy like johan larson (laughs) for the arizona coyotes if you want to add that kind of player at the deadline in exchange for let's say a third round pick i'm all for it you know, third round picks, I don't really care about losing. And you want to add some depth. Potentially, it's a player you could sign to an extension. So best case scenario, it's not even a loss. Um, and if you want to give up a first round pick, if you want to give up like top prospects, it better be for a player that still has term left on his deal. If you want yeah. to make a trade at the deadline for a guy who's going to be with the Rangers for the next two, three years, sure, go for it. But I don't want the Rangers to give up assets for a guy like like Thomas Hurdle, who they cannot even afford to sign to an extension in the offseason. That's uh, just, I, just throwing assets away for nothing. No, you're you're absolutely right. And we've said this plenty by now, but you know, yeah. we're we're both in agreement. If the Rangers and are gonna go make deals, do it for something yeah. that's gonna be long lasting. Yeah, and I expect the Rangers to be closer in twenty twenty three and probably contenders in twenty twenty four. That's the situation where that's the scenario where you go out and trade your first round pick for for help at the deadline, like the like the Blackhawks did with Antoine Vermette in 2015, for instance. Yeah, that's you that's know good that's, comp, yeah. that's 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 a perfect scenario. The the Blackhawks tried to win a cup. You know they got came back from from IR. They had a really good team still. They just needed some depth down the middle, and they got it for a first round pick. That was actually I think that's one of the most successful trades in NHL history looking at the perspective from all parties involved Uh, the blackhawks gave up a first round pick for a stanley cup antoine vermette won a stanley cup ring and the arizona coyotes got a first round pick and they got antoine vermette back in the summer steven we have breaking news what's happening the rangers sent Niels down and they brought schneider up okay that's interesting it is interesting and you know what I you know what I think when I see this because Niels didn't play last night against the Canes, mm-hmm. and I know that the Canes aren't the big bad Canes that they were in the 2010s, but they're, they're still the, team the that, exact opposite. They, they, they were a fast paced team. It was the perfect opposite. Yeah, they still have some size, but still, why do I feel like this is in part because the Rangers want size but scale at the same time? You'd have like Nemeth is a big body, Tenorti's a big body. What do they have size? What do they not have skill? What does yeah. Schneider have? He has both those things. He's really raw, though. That's yeah. that's the thing. How like how much leash is he going to get now? I don't know. But clearly, if they're calling him up, they're they're going to give him his debut soon. 
So that yeah. it's exciting. I don't want to see Niels go down, but I, I mean, I'm fine to see these all these young guys get opportunities this year to varying degrees. You know, we're going to see exactly who gets the longest leash and who doesn't. But yeah, breaking news again: Rangers have recalled defenseman Brain Schneider from the Wolfpack and promote him to the active roster. Defenseman Niels Lundqvist and Tarmo Ronanen, as well as Tyler Wall, have been reassigned to Hartford. So yes, breaking news here in the live stream or wherever you're listening to your Rangers podcast. Um, interesting, very interesting. Again, I don't think Niels has been playing bad at all. I I liked his game against Anaheim. I thought he got some really good looks offensively. But you know, clearly, clearly the Rangers are trying to mix things up. Uh, whether they're doing it accurately, exactly how we want them to as fans is a different discussion, but I'm not against giving Schneider a shot. However, um, just surprising. Wasn't expecting that, uh, early in the day on this Tuesday. I know it's in the evening for you. Yeah. Let me, yeah. All right. Sorry. I need to just had to quickly respond to someone there. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Let, let's see what Snyder can do. Uh, let's hope he adjusts better than Jones. Um, and I guess it all depends on who he's going to play with. And keep in mind that Jones wasn't sent down. He's still no, no, in the no. Rangers. There's a possibility we, we see a Jones-Schneider pairing. We could see Schneider with Nemeth. Oh, God forbid we, we see Schneider with Nemeth. Um, so, <laughs> exciting, exciting to watch. Let's see what happens. I'm curious how Niels is going to take this too. Oh, he'll As, be fine. Yeah, I, I hope he just stays humble throughout it all because you know, he, he has I, I a bright future. That I spoke to him a few times uh, in 2021 about his plans to move to North America, and his expectation was that he was going to start in Hartford. So him making the team out of camp was already a positive experience for him. Um, I don't think I don't think he's going to have any issues. Um, I sure hope the Hartford Wolfpack have learned from their mistakes in the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, I'm not too worried. I'm not too worried there. What, um, do you have Schneider's numbers on hand? I'm curious. Uh, I'll look them up actually, you know, I'll save you the, the effort, um, before we get into the schedule here. Cause I'm just curious. Cause I, I have not, I, I, I have not seen much mm-hmm. of him in Hartford this year. I know you have, um, yeah. so, he okay. Has, He's nine he assists not- in 24 games. Yeah, nine assists in 24 games. Um, okay. I think the most interesting thing about Braden Schneider is, uh, and it kind of sucks that Galland is is currently out with COVID because Schneider played under Galland at the World Championships last summer. Oh, that's a good point. Well, I mean, he he might pl- he's going to play with him at some point, right? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I was, I was kind of hoping that his call-up would have been under Galland because, you know, it's just the perfect story. Well, that's, that's true. That's a fair point. I will say, though, if Knobloch is coaching next game and Schneider makes his debut, it's not like Knobloch doesn't know him. You know, it's good to actually have someone like Knobloch here right now that's yeah. been with Schneider all season long in Hartford. So, again, that in itself is not a negative. I think that's only a positive, right? Um, but, yeah, interesting news on Schneider. We'll see when he makes his NHL debut. Looks like it'll probably be soon if I had a guess. I mean, if they, they already put him on the active roster, he's got to be playing in, probably against that game in San Jose. Like, it has to be during the away trip. Why else would they do this, right? They're Who is clearly... he going to be paired with, though? Is it going to be Jones, Nemeth, Tenorti, or Hayek? <clears throat> I think it's going to be Tenorti, unfortunately. I think it's going to be Nemeth. You think it's going to be Nemeth? It makes it makes more sense for it to be Nemeth, but, man, if – oh, him and Jones would be awesome because that would give Jones – 
more of his ability to focus a bit tad more on his offense and kind of mm-hmm. let Schneider just hang back. You what know? if they play Jones with Truba and put Miller with Schneider? Miller and Schneider profiles very similar. That's the thing. Nah, Miller. I mean, I know, Schneider, I know, I know. Miller's a much more of a high flyer than Schneider is a little bit. Um, but Schneider brings exactly what we want to see from Miller. That's the point. You think so? Schneider, Schneider is supposed to be our next Truba, right? That, that's yeah. how a lot I, of fans. I, have think, I think Schneider complements Miller better than 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 Jones. Than, than Truba or Fox. Okay. Interesting. Well, we're gonna find out one way or another, right? It's good. We're gonna find out soon. Is it Thursday next game? Uh yes. Yes, it is Thursday. So it won't be too long of a wait, hopefully, if we do see him in the lineup. But with that being said, let's get into the upcoming schedule before we wrap things up here, folks. Again, thank you so much for watching live on replay Rains Review episode 44. Um, getting into the upcoming schedule. Uh, next time we talk will probably be a week from now, hopefully next Tuesday, the 18th. If so, the Rangers will only play two games during that span. It starts on Thursday, the 13th. That being against the San Jose Sharks, 10.30 Eastern time, just the way Steven likes it. Nice and early for him. Then on Saturday on the 15th in Philly, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern start. Um, that game is going to be the last of the away trip until the Rangers go back home on the 19th against Toronto. But again, we should hopefully be back here probably next Tuesday, if I had a guess, uh, to go over these next two games. So, Steven, San Jose Sharks, Philadelphia Flyers, two teams that struggle defensively and two teams that are beyond capable of being beaten by the Rangers. So I'll go first, I guess, prediction-wise, or should you go first? Does winner go first or second? Uh, Winner goes first. Okay. (laughs) So – with these two games, I'm getting flashbacks of when the Rangers have had those really late games in San Jose. Wasn't last season they went to overtime with them? Oh, no, we, did, we didn't play the West Coast last season. Oh, okay. Had it been the season before then. Um, I, I hope the Rangers win both, but I think they're going to go 1 0 1. Okay. One on one. Well, they have a lot of. They still have players out, and and that's concerning. There's no news about Shostorkin coming back yet. Um, I'm gonna go o one and one. Okay, you don't even think they get a win? Interesting. Very I nice. think I think they're gonna make it to overtime against the flyers but the rangers coming back from the west coast and then playing on the road against the flyers it's it's yeah it's uh, it's tricky okay anyway so you go one oh and one yeah and i go oh one and one okay number of goals in two games i'm gonna play conservative and go Four. Four. All right. Then I'm going to go with five. Yeah. It was four or five. You know, I watch well, them get shot out at one of these games now. Yeah. That's that's the point. <laughs> uh, but they score six in the other. <laughs> okay. Okay. That, that still works. That still works for me. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, look, exciting. I'm looking forward to the upcoming schedule a bit. 
After that, the Rangers have a lot of very interesting games at home and away uh, to round out January that I am looking forward to. But that's going to wrap things up for Rangers Review. Uh, this is episode 44. So, Stephen, let's start with you. Have you Wait, did you look at the list already or no? No, no, I haven't looked it up yet. Okay, so there's three players I'm almost certain are 44. Okay. I, I only have three. How many players do you think off the top of your head? Uh, I can probably name five. Okay, I'll start with me then. Um, Matt Hunwick. I remember Hunwick quite well. Good one, ne- yep. Neil Pionk. Yep. And Matthew Robertson. Yeah, Matthew Robertson is impressive because he hasn't made yeah. his first team debut yet. So yeah, that is a preseason number. Does he? So wait, does he count if he hasn't played an NHL game yet? Yes, because that's the number that that was assigned to him uh, as a roster player when okay. he was first drafted. He was assigned number ninety-seven. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's my three. Outside of that, I have no clue. Uh, Steve Eminger. Oh, okay. I haven't heard that and- name in a while. Uh, the other Justin Falk that we had, the one without the U. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Anyway, so let me look. Let me look up the rest of the list. That was a big body, Justin Falk, right? Wasn't he yeah. a really big defenseman? Yeah, yeah. he I was think... basically he was basically Jared Tenorti before Jared Tenorti. Didn't we get him from the Wild? Yeah, I think we traded him to the Sabers, but it could be the other way around because I mean, who knows? He was such, a, <laughs> such an insignificant player in Rangers history. Anyway. Uh, so I got the list here: uh, Matthew Robertson, Neil Pionk, Matt Hunwick, Justin Falk, Steve Eminger, Corey Potter, Ryan Holweg, Josh Green, Billy Tibbets, Pear Juice, which is one of the best names in hockey. <laughs> Pear Juice, Pear Billy Tibbets, <laughs> Billy, Billy Tibbets, Pear Juice, James Latos, Lindy Ruff, the Lindy Ruff. The Lindy Ruff. I didn't even know he played for the Rangers. Oh, yes. Yeah, it was, wow. that was the, the trivia question against the Anaheim Ducks. Which three NHL coaches have played for the Rangers? Oh, shit. I, I, don't, even, I don't even remember that. Lindy Ruff, Peter Laviolette, and Dallas Eakins. Dallas Eakins, yes. Em, Edmonton and Anaheim legend. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there are two players left. Uh, Ron Duguay, number 44 in 87-88. Duguay is someone that I probably should have had. And the first player to ever wear number 44 in an official game for the New York Rangers was Terry Kleisinger. He was a goalie wearing number 44. He played four games, um, has a save percentage of 87.872. Interesting. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad Kleisinger, I got a couple of them. Terry Kleisinger, interesting story. He's actually part of. Uh, he was a goalie in the last season. The Rangers used four goalies as starters in the first 30 games to start the season. Really? Wow. This season we had Kincaid, Huska, Georgiev, and Shesturkin. And 85-86 was the last time the Rangers had four starting goalies in the first 30 games of the season. And Terry Kleisinger was one of them. I remember looking this up because Steve, uh, Steve Velikat asked about that, actually. Or someone asked Steve Villicat on Twitter. Okay. Very interesting. Well, yeah. again, a good way to wrap things up. Episode 44 of Rangers Review. Thank you guys all so much for watching and listening. 
wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a nice review uh, for that matter or hit that like and subscribe button if you're on YouTube as well. We'll be back hopefully a week from now to recap games 38 and 39 for the Rangers on the season. But until then, I hope you guys all have a great rest of your week. Appreciate mm-hmm. you all. And, of course, Steven, let's go Rangers. Let's go Rangers, and it's Schneider season. It is Schneider season. Let's get it.